Welcome to the Principal Podcast. This is Xane Anderson. Today, I am honored to have with us Barbara Mojica. Barbara is an author, an educator, a parent, and Barbara provides tools to inspire, educate, and entertain youth. She believes and knows that history is a key to solving many of today's problems. On her profile that I've got here says, are you tired of being bombarded by social media? Accept the challenge, be a truth teller. Barbara, thank you for joining us today. We're excited to learn from you. Well, my pleasure. I'm excited to talk to your listeners. So tell us this. You, you, you believe strongly in history. So my question is, why should people learn history? Like, why should anyone care? Okay. Well, that gets me going. <laughs> well, because if you know history, to me, history equals Knowing history equals understanding because we cannot possibly fathom how we got to where we are today or to make a plan for creating a better scenario tomorrow if we don't understand how we got here in the first place. And everything in the world has a history. So we are not born at the beginning of something. When we're born, we're born really in the middle of a story because we're born into a family and that family has members and our ancestors who have come before us. And then of course, there will be those that come after us. And the first thing we do when when we are young children is we we ask those who, what, when, where, and why questions. We want to know who am I? Where did I come from? Oh, what happened before? How have things changed? So we ask all of those questions and we eventually have a better grounding of where we are in our family and what our family stand for. And then as we get a little bit older, we understand that there's a whole community around us, that there are a group of people who have come together and work together because they have common interests, a common language, a common culture, common traditions. And we learn to react and to participate in that larger group. And eventually that goes out into the larger world we learn that we're not just a part of this local community, but we're a part of a larger group. Uh, we're part of a country. We're citizens in that country. We have certain obligations. And then of course, that goes out even wider. We recognize that there's a big old world out there and we are a part of that larger world as well. That's wonderful. You know, and, and part of the things that many of our viewers here are parents, and we've talked about this, you and I have talked about this, we've talked about this with our viewers more than once, that we are, we are the CEOs of our children's education. Um, you know, a lot of times as parents, we think it's just the job to send our kids off to school and hope and pray that they get educated in the way that we would be best for them. But I think that's a... a, 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 a a paradigm that doesn't work as well as saying, you know what, I'm the CEO and I'm going to take responsibility for teaching my kids, including 
the history so they understand, like you said, one of the things I like that you said was, you know, the key to a lot of our problems is understanding our history. Um, so, so talk to me a little bit about that. When we, when we, if we're trying to solve today's problems, how does our history, can we talk about that a little bit more in depth? How does that help solve the problems of today? Well, today we are living in a world uh, in which uh, a lot of our basic values and our, our grounding is has been kind of torn apart or rendered uh, difficult because we have managed to divide ourselves into different groups. And it's more important than ever for parents to take charge and to make sure that their children are learning the values and the skills that are important to their particular family, to their particular group and culture. And I think today, uh, especially after COVID, when we became so isolated, children have, have never been more impacted by this isolation. And they are seeking to belong, but they are kind of lost uh, because today, Social media has made it so important for our children and adults as well. But for our children, they seek this belonging. Of course, all children, as they are growing and gaining independence, want to be more on their own. And they want to sometimes rebel against what uh, seems to be the norm. But today there's so much confusion because of social media. Uh, children, because they have all of these pressures on social media, they're trying to fit in uh, with their peer groups. And social media is giving them a, a, a sense, a, a false sense of security because they're only seeing part of the picture. They're not being uh, given the facts they're not they're being given a certain limited number of uh approaches by the algorithm and the more they seek to fit in with their group the more their approaches are limited so they're not seeing the whole picture and uh during covid parents became aware that a lot of the values that they may have thought were being carried forth in the educational system are no longer uh, being carried forth. And they became aware uh, that their children were being taught things that may or may not be aligned, aligned with their values. And they wanted to take more control. So today, I think more and more parents are becoming involved in uh, their education uh, and they're being- they're being, they're noticing that history is no longer being taught as a priority. It's very much, in fact, ignored in our educational system. The values of good citizenship and the values of taking responsibility, uh, of respecting other people, of learning uh, about different cultures and 
having respect for differences other than our own. A lot of that uh, has been kind of molded into this one way of doing things. And this is what our schools, the public schools especially, are pushing. So a lot of parents became aware that, hey, there's a lot going on that I didn't know about. And uh, children were uh, being pushed into certain avenues of thought that they may not agree with. And the parents feel as if, uh, I think a large number of parents feel as if they have lost control. They're, they're no longer the CEOs. Parents are a child's first teacher. And the parents are the ones who are ultimately responsible for the education of the child in terms of not only academics, but of the moral values, the, uh, in, the intrinsic uh, belief system that uh, their culture and their family uh, imports to them. So uh, parents have somewhat been trying to turn this tide around and have taken more active roles in uh, education by uh, speaking up at school boards, by uh, pushing back against things that they think are uh, not appropriate to be taught in the curriculums and so on. And history is a large part of that because when history is taught in the curriculum, children learn how to do that critical thinking, how to not only learn the facts of what happened, which is the probably the least important part of history, but to learn how to think and of assess and evaluate, to, uh, to analyze, and then to be able to take the information presented and to put it together and to infer and create their own opinions about things using objective information, not using the opinion pieces that we get from social media. I really appreciate that. And it's refreshing for me, Barbara, to hear you. I mean, my understanding is you're a lifelong educator. You've been a principal of a school. You've been involved in the education system for a long time. And to hear you say the parents are the CEOs or the parents are their first, you know, the first and most important teacher, I think, as, as you say, that, you know, I think there's this feeling that has kind of come about in some areas where it's kind of like, well, maybe I'm not as important. The, the unspoken feeling in some school districts is we kind of own your kids. We're going to teach them what we want to teach them. And you're kind of just the, the caretaker. And you're saying, actually, no, you're the, you're the first and most important teacher. And we need to step up and teach these values, these skills, which are more important than just the facts or teaching to the test or teaching to get the, you know, the kids to, to pass and, so they can get the benchmarks that people want them to hit. And this, this also that this thought of history is being lost. You know, we, we a lot of history classes, have, they don't even call it history anymore. Sometimes there's called, you know, uh, um, social studies or something else. Exactly. Where, where we're not actually discussing, hey, this is the history of how to be a good citizen. And, and to have parents need to step up and say, hey, we need to make sure this is taught, the history, so we understand where we're coming from in our country. Um, 
But would you do agree with that? It sounds like th- this principle that parents are the, the CEOs. They are the, the first and most important teacher, even more so than the schools. Not to say schools don't play a huge part in this. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes. And I think that's coming from you, an educator. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I became over the I've spent I, I started teaching when I was actually 20 years old and I spent almost 40 years in education. I started out in general education with with uh, children in the in the general population. And I taught first in a private school and I learned over time it became more and more evident to me that there were so many different ways of learning. And in general, the school that I worked in was failing to meet the needs of of kids that learn differently. So I went into special education. And from there, I took a whole new certification in special ed. And I learned how to work with children who had very, very unique and special needs. So everything, autism, crack cocaine, you know, physical disabilities and so on. And I worked then with even a large group of teachers who were not only academic teachers, but were physical therapists and occupational therapists and psychologists, you know, a whole team approach to learning. And that made me aware that uh, our children are, 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 are truly unique and all children are special, whether they have a, quote, physical disability or a, a, a learning disorder, but they can all learn if they are reached in a unique and special way. And here we are pushing the common core and everyone must meet the standard. Everyone must pass this certain test And if we meet these benchmarks, then we can say that we are delivering a quality education. But we're not delivering a quality education because over the past 20 years in the United States, our position in education went from being right up there at the top to like we're below number 20 now. So in all this effort to throw money uh, at the problem and to say that we are going to bring every student up to standard, we've done just the opposite. And uh, we've created teachers who, who's, uh, in many cases, their hands are tied. Uh, they are restricted to teaching in a very regimented way. They are required to collect data all the time. Uh, And uh, they spend more time going to staff trainings for new ideas and new approaches, many of which are thrown out shortly after that. And they're spending less time in the classroom. They're spending more time pushing paper. And our children are not uh, being successful at learning. So uh, I, I Part of it, you know, there are there are all kinds of forces involved. Uh, there's politics involved. There are uh, large companies who produce educational materials who are pushing their agenda. Uh, there's all kinds of grant money that comes from the federal government or the state government, and the schools want to obtain this grant money, and and then 
they are forced to adhere to very strict guidelines as to what they're going to do with that money. So, so none of this money, they're given money, but they have there's hooks attached to it. Yes, like, there's always the a hook attached. Yeah. Yes. Always a hook attached. Interesting to hear that. Here's the money, but you better teach it the way we want it taught. And if you don't, then you don't get the money. And then on top of that, there's this new emphasis on the quote social emotional learning. Uh, and almost, you know, most of the states have requirements that we teach children these so what they call social emotional skills. Uh, and the social emotional learning, again, uh, may conflict with the parents' uh, core values and beliefs. And uh, a lot of this grant money goes to that, which also takes even more time, you know, away from this, the academic curriculum. So then the question becomes, the question is, this is a pivotal question in our time right now. Do the schools own your kids or do, or, or parents, should parents be the CEOs of their children's education? And I mean, are the kids, the kids, should the parents be the CEOs or should they just say, hey, the schools own our kids and we're just kind of caretakers? Well, I think the parents have to push back. I think that uh, if they don't push back, uh, our educational system is going to be in even more trouble than it is today because okay. so many kids are being left behind. We have such a diverse population here in the United States. Uh, we have so many different threads that pull at this public education system. We have children who have different cultures that are uh, very alien to the American system of education. They're, they come from families uh, in which uh, they're being taken care of uh, in a lot of cases by members of the family who are not even their parents. Uh, so we have a lot of these families uh, where the grandparents are taking care of the kids because the parents are, are working two jobs and they may be working 10, 12 hours a day. They the pair, the grandparents or the other members of the family who are taking care of the children probably don't even speak the English language. So it's taking longer and longer for these children to become, you know, uh, accustomed to, to their surroundings. I, I can remember a case um, uh, uh, before I retired, uh, there were times when we had to go to siblings in the family to go home and give a message to translate because there was virtually no adult in the family that understood English. Mm -hmm. So we would have to, you know, choose an older brother or sister to deliver a message. Uh, we have children uh, that have all kinds of 
other barriers to learning uh, that, you know, there are behavioral issues because children who are, are not accustomed to the way our society works often act out and rebel against because simply because they don't understand it. So, you know, we have more behavioral issues. We have the language issues. We have parents who are uninvolved because they're they're busy working uh, we have you know we have economic issues because some uh, of the children uh, don't get the basic services that they need because the parents don't know how to reach out for them there are just so so many issues and then when we try to give them these standardized tests and you know, try to bring them up to that standard. These tests are just so culturally foreign to them that you know, even if they wanted to do well, just the content of of this information is, is just so alien to them. They can't do well. So if we give them a paragraph that talks about something that we do in American culture, and they come from uh, a, a nation that is totally unfamiliar with that type of thinking. Uh, even if they're not that far below reading standard, they, they're not going to understand it anyway. So there are just, just so, so many things uh, involved in, in trying to make this, you know, cookie cutter, one size fits all approach. And okay, if we can get uh, the passage rates up to like 10% uh, more on this test, then we can say our children are learning. They're all oh, they're you know, they're not, they're not really learning and not really comprehending. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything to them. I, I've spent as much as six or seven weeks in a classroom trying to prepare children for one of these standardized tests. And again, how much time do we take out of the general curriculum to prepare them for tests? An awful lot of time. So and they, yeah, so it's they meaningless. Can the benchmark so they can get more. Of right. Something. You know, this, I, just let me interject here. So what I'm hearing you say is there's a lot of resources and time being spent to say, okay, let's see if we can get them to pass this test because someone out there has decided that this test means if you can pass it at a certain level that you're now educated. Um, is that correct? Uh, that's basically the whole idea of Common Core. And and, and of Common Core. So, so here's what... For those of you listening, some of you have listened for a long time. One of the things that I am passionate about is inspiring parents to step up. In other words, um, I think it was a, a man named Neil Maxwell who, who said something like this. I'm probably misquoting it, but it was something like this. If we don't fix marriages and families, parents, everything else we do will be like straightening deck chairs on the Titanic. In other words, we can throw money at it. We can throw money through social programs, through a lot more spending in education. We can do lots of different things. And I'm not saying that education programs aren't valuable. I'm not saying that there's not a, a number of awesome, wonderful social programs or teachers or things that we can do to help people. But if you think if that quote is true, that if we don't 
get parents and marriages, families fixed and step up to everything else we do. Because these facts that we have to learn, as you said, we need the values, the principles, those things I think are best taught in the home. Now, they could be accentuated and taught by wonderful educators like yourself, by other people who are committed to teaching values and skills, not just trying to have people memorize facts. But we need parents to step up and say, you know what? I'm not just going to pawn it off to the school and, and hope. What I'm going to do is say, I'm the CEO of my children's education. And if, and if the educational, you know, as a CEO, you might say the, the, the public school I'm sending them to now isn't working out and I'm going to need to switch schools. I may need to switch to something else. Maybe I need to do, you know, a, 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 a charter school or a, a public school, maybe even a private school or a homeschool. But somehow I need to step up and say, you know, the buck stops with me. And I'm responsible for educating these values uh, to my children. And I hope to find some great teachers that I can work with at, at various possible schools. But if people aren't measuring up, or if the, if the contractor that I'm working with isn't measuring up, I have a right as a CEO to say, I'm going to look elsewhere, right? Exactly. So if somebody's measuring up, ultimately, they're going to be fired or they're going to leave the position. And we can't, you know, we can't run a company with people who don't adhere to the basic values of the company and who don't work hard to promote and respect it. So parents have to realize, uh, and, and I think the tide is slowly changing, that there are a lot of options out there. Now, of course, you know, parents are very busy. They only have so many hours a day, but there are alternatives uh, available to them. So you mentioned charter schools. That's one good avenue. And, and again, in some places of our country, uh, charter schools are doing very well. Uh, there are charter schools uh, for different reasons. Some of them specialize in a certain uh, discipline or they have a special focus like a, a charter school for the arts or a charter school uh, for a particular discipline like science or, or math. But there are other um, schools that charter schools that can enhance uh, a child's overall living experience like uh, a charter school can have an, a good academic grounding and then have an optional uh, secondary focus like music or the arts so the child could still get a very strong academic education and then maybe uh learn a lot about drawing or learn uh, more about technology or learn more about uh, becoming an artist. So uh, we, there's that aspect of charter schools and charter schools uh, can be run through the public system or they can be very much independent. I think we need a lot more vocational schools. We There are a lot of children who are very gifted with their hands and who would love uh, to get experience in a career involving that. So in our country, vocational schools are pretty, are, you know, in most cases looked down upon or not considered nearly as important. And that's uh, part of the reason that our 
economy has done so poorly in the manufacturing and and in that in that whole area of, of uh, possibilities for growth. So we could have children that are uh, uh, interested in automotive or, or aviation industries, and that, that could be supported and and uh, and, and uh, pushed forward as well. Homeschooling. A lot of parents think of as, oh, this is really difficult. I could never do that. But there's so many options with homeschooling, too. Uh, it doesn't have to be a, a homeschool one-on-one -on -one in your home. It, it could be a co-op. And after COVID, a lot of parents did this when they became disenchanted because their children weren't learning through the uh, traditional online programming that was offered through their public school, they started to form homeschool co-ops. So they got together uh, either themselves alternating teaching or hiring a group of teachers. And then that became a social experience as well because the children could learn independently in their own home or they might be able to go to local uh, homes in their area. And that also would provide a degree of, of socialization as well. There are so many forms of homeschooling. You know, there's Montessori homeschooling, there's Waldorf homeschooling. Some parents actually took their children on the road and uh, they went on the road and they they took their children with them and they did on the road schooling in a in a, in a camper or a trailer. So there there are just so uh, many possibilities and so many ways of doing it, depending on what's uh, good for your family and what could work with your family, because a lot of parents did a lot of work from home and uh, became aware that they weren't so tied to you know, going to work nine to five in one location. And that gave them a lot of flexibility uh, to do uh, similar things with their family as well. So you can do it. Uh, and whether it's private school, charter school, vocational school, homeschooling options, uh, there are uh, other possibilities. And my personal philosophy is that the money for education should follow the student rather than all the money needs to be put into public education automatically. And if you want to choose something different, then, well, that's tough luck. You're, you know, you're responsible for finding the money on your own. I think there has to be a lot more support for alternatives. And that's refreshing to hear from you. I mean, you're, you're back. Tell us about your background as, a, as an educator lifelong in the public schools, even as a principal, correct? And you're still saying what I'm hearing you say is it should follow the student. They should have they should be able to choose and go to it to use it for a different. I, I think that works best. I, and personally, I've done it all. Mm -hmm. I worked in a private. Elementary school. I worked in a public school. I've worked as a special education team teacher. So I worked with students 
uh, that had special needs and were in a classroom together with general needs students. I worked wow. with reading programs for dyslexic students, like the Wilson Reading Program. And I worked um, in special ed as a principal of a special ed preschool. And then I have also worked one-on-one -on -one with intensively with special needs students. So children that actually need one-on-one uh, -on -one training, children like autistic children who need a, a, a very individualized approach like applied behavioral analysis. So I've done that as well. So I've worked one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I've worked in a small group setting with just special needs. I've worked in an integrated setting with both general needs and special education. And I've been an administrator, you know, on the administration side as a principal and a district administrator as well. So I've kind of been exposed to all of the different approaches. It kind of accumulated gradually over this long period of time, but it's, it's really led me to the belief that uh, what works for one child doesn't work for all. And there are ways to individualize education and that, you know, I'm like totally against this cookie cutter, one size fits all for every and, child. And would you agree that parents know best, know their children's better than, than. Of course, you know, of course, yeah. who, who can know, but a parent also knows their child best, but a parent also has the responsibility to educate that child at home, to teach the child by modeling. And it, it's, again, some parents might say, well, but where am I going to get the time to do this? If you integrate it every day with your child, again, critical thinking, asking them those open-ended questions the who, the what, the when, the where, and why. Oh, I wonder why. And then just ask them open-ended questions. When your child says something, don't answer with a yes or a no. You know, ask them, again, uh, this changes according to age. When they're young, uh, it's, it's more limited. But as they grow older, ask them what they think. You know, ask for their opinion. And then ask them why they think that way. You know, give them chores to do. Make them responsible. We don't do our children any favors by being helicopter parents uh, that assume responsibility for everything a child does. And then when a child makes a mistake, we cover up for that mistake. Or we say, oh, that's okay. We have to teach them to accept responsibility, to, you know, love them unconditionally, but praise them when they're right. And when they're wrong, make sure that they understand that they're accountable and not condemning them and punishing, but in, in the traditional, well, now you're grounded for six months, but teach them why it was wrong. And then show them how to do it better next time. You know, all of this kind of thing helps to give them a foundation and leadership skills, you know, make them independent thinkers, 
make them have responsibility, make them understand what's fair and unfair, make them understand that sometimes we need to negotiate things. There's not always that black and white answer, you know? Sometimes we have to understand the problem, go into it, and parents have to take responsibility too. When the parent is wrong, parent needs to acknowledge that and tell the child, well, I was wrong in this instance. They have to be able to, uh, you know, see that we are all human beings and that, you know, we're not right 100% of the time. We have to uh, teach them how to organize. That's another important skill. You know, we're so flustered today. Yeah, excuse me. I should say one of the things that comes to mind when you say this, I heard somebody say there are three things that are important when teaching. The first is example. The second is example. The third is example, right? Um, you talked about the importance of being an example or modeling. Hey, it's okay to admit you're wrong and go back and, and try to make it better. Say, you know, I, you know, I, I messed up, but I shouldn't have done that. And I'm sorry. And, and, and teaching them so they can see you do it. Right. Exactly. Yep. But, you know, if they don't, if they see the parent as that kind of, well, either one extreme or the other, the authoritarian parent who's always right. And, you know, you're going to do it because I said you're going to do it. And then that opposite extreme of the helicopter parent who's always hovering and, and protecting the child from, you know, being harmed or injured in in any way it's we learn more from our mistakes than we do from our successes so you know failure is an important part of uh, growing up you know letting children pursue pa their passions and pursue things that they're interested in knowing that they're not going to succeed 100% of the time now, they might think that they're going to be the greatest baseball player ever, but it turns out they can't catch a ball to save their life. I mean, they have to learn, you know, they wanted to try it and they have to see, well, this isn't working out for me. So maybe I should try something else and then let them try something else, you know. And, and then, of course, we have, you know, again, the parents that have their heart set on a child following in their footsteps. And well, I was really great at music. So you're going to be great at music too. Maybe not, you know, so, uh, you know, don't try to force your children into things just because you decide, well, I think this would be a good path for my child. Let right. the child find his or her own path. Right. I like that, how you said that. So it's not when we're talking about being a CEO, it's not saying, hey, this is what you need to do all the time. It's just saying, hey, I can I can find out what my children are interested in and then provide opportunities. I may, I may you know, if they're interested in music, I may decide to, to get them involved with a piano teacher or a violin teacher, or if they, you know, or I could, we could, somebody may want to hire a karate teacher or something, but help them go, help them learn, but also don't, um, what I'm hearing you say, and, and let me get your opinion on a couple things here. I heard it said that if a child were to fall down and skin his knee, and if the, if the parent runs up and says, oh my goodness, coochie, coochie, coo, I cannot believe that you uh, her skinned your knee and let's help you. 
the kid almost the unspoken sentence is, Hey, you're fragile and you need someone to, you know, you're, you're breakable. On the other hand, the kid skins his knee and, and, and the parent says, you know what? Sometimes that happens. And I've skinned my knee and I know it hurts, but you're going to be okay. You can shake it off. And then when they skin their knee and mom and dad aren't there, they kind of have that voice in their head that I'm going to be okay. It's not mm-hmm. a big deal rather than that I'm fragile. Um, and I think when parents helicopter, the unspoken thing that they not, they don't, they may not say it out loud, but the unspoken thing is you're fragile and you can't live without me. So I've got a helicopter in and save you rather than, Hey, you're a capable person and you're going to be able to be strong enough to figure this out. That's the unspoken message yes. is I need mom and dad to rescue me because I'm weak or I'm fragile or there's something wrong with me. And um, it doesn't encourage independence, right? I mean, you know, so then the child's going to need, well, I need somebody else to support me all the time, whether that's okay. a parent or later on in life, the child is going to grow into an adult who feels like they always need a crutch to be that you know, someone else or the government or anything. You're correct. Let me ask you one more question. I had, tell me, I'd love to hear your opinion on this. I had a, my, my brother who also loves education. Um, some people are concerned that if they homeschool, that their kids won't be socialized. And my brother said that there were some studies done that showed that the kids are about as social as their parents. In other words, if the parent can, can carry on a conversation, you know, some people are afraid, well, if I homeschool, my kids will be backwards. And you already addressed some of those things with, um, you know, you could do a co-op. But there's a lot of socialization in schools that is not positive. There's a lot of bullying. There's a lot of like, you've got to conform and have exactly the right clothes. Otherwise you're not cool. That's negative socialization that we don't want. But if our, if we, as parents can say, I mean, from what my brother said is that if you are, if parents are, are somewhat social and socialized and can hold on conversation, their kids will be about as socialized, even if they homeschool or not. And Tell me your feeling on that. Well, I think a lot of that is in the child's uh, individual personality. Of course, you know, some children uh, are naturally shy and, and, and others are more outgoing. And a, a lot of it does have to do with their family system, you know, how the parents interact uh, with the outside world. Uh some parents are, are more, you know, reticent. They, they, they're not, they, they don't belong to a lot of clubs. They, you know, they, they don't have a lot of interest, but because again, some of them might be working long hours and so on, but you, there are again, ways to do it with, with homeschooling. Uh, the kids can meet their peers in so many ways you know it could be through a sports team it could be through an outside interest like music or the arts it could just be taking them to the local library and uh going to uh library events it could be taking them to local community uh events uh uh, whatever resources you have in the community on the weekends taking them uh, to a museum or taking them to a, uh, an event in the community, whether it be a holiday parade or, you know, whatever is going on at the, at the time, 
uh, there are uh, lots of ways to uh, meet other people in, in the community. There are just really so many opportunities out there. So I, you know, I don't think that has to be a, a drawback. And again, there are many parents who homeschool and who are able to hook up with uh, after-school activities in the local schools. So even if your child doesn't attend the local public school, or there could be a local private school as well, in most cases, a child could join a team uh, at at the local school, uh, or uh, it could be something like Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or, you know, some other group, uh, 4-H in rural communities. You know, there are a lot of opportunities uh, for joining groups uh, out, out that, uh, that aren't 100% linked to the school system. So you don't have to belong to the high school uh, tennis team, but you might belong to a local tennis club or there might be a private school that that ha, has a tennis group and the child could enjoy that so I, I personally know some parents uh, I know I have one parent in mind who homeschooled her child from elementary right up through high school and she went one day a week uh, after school and uh, you know she participated in um, a, a uh, local group that was affiliated with that school and had lots of friends from school. So even though uh, she was homeschooled, she had lots of friends in the community that went to that public school. So in it doesn't words, mean one or the other, you know. In, in other words, she was she was socialized just fine, even though she was homeschooled. Right. I know that's a common concern with some parents. They say, well. My kids will be backward if they go homeschool. So that's good to know. Let me ask you one more question about this. I, I, I wish I remembered the study. There was a study where they said the education outcomes in large part are linked to the number of turns in a conversation. So in other words, I'm saying something and then you're responding. That's one turn in the conversation. And then if you say something to me and I respond, that's another turn in the conversation. And a lot of intelligence, these, these, uh, and again, I wish I had the study, but it was a, basically an intelligence study was linked to how many times these turns in the conversation happen. So in, in, a, in a public school setting or a large classroom setting of some sort, a lot of times it's just the teacher talking and some of it's going over the head. Some of the kids are spaced out. Some of them are getting it. Some of them aren't. And there's uh, unfortunately, uh, in some situations, very few turns in a conversation. In a homeschooling situation, it seems to me like the parents would have a lot of of, of opportunity to increase the number of turns in a conversation. So in other words, if your child comes to you and says, hey, I'd really like to understand more about George Washington since we're talking about history. And you say, well, what is it about George Washington that you're curious about? And he said, well, I heard this story about so-and-so. Well, there's a two or three turns in the conversation right there. And, and as a homeschooler um, or a parent who was just trying to educate their kids, being willing to do what you said, well, you know, and ask them questions, open-ended questions. So they're thinking and the conversations going back and forth, that's an associated with having higher levels of intelligence. Tell me your thoughts on that. Yeah. Not, not only that, but you can learn so much about their individual interests. So in, in the course of those conversations, you can yes. redirect the curriculum and 
bring them more in line with the resources that they're interested in. So, so they say they're interested in something and you probe them to understand what exactly it is they're interested in and why. And then you could say, well, you know, we can go to the library or we can go to the local museum or we can go visit that local historical site to find out more about that person. And it's it's kind of the beginning of a, a, a ripple effect. So one, one thing leads into another. Uh, instead of just going to the internet and typing in a question and finding the answer, you're continuing that conversation and you're opening it up to so many other avenues of exploration. You know, it could go almost anywhere. I love that. And, and then they're more invested in it because they have the question and mom and dad are helping me go down this path to learn. And now something I'm interested in is important to mom and dad or my parents as well. And so we're able to learn together rather than I just put in the cookie cutter and hope that I come out okay, right? Like Exactly. It's interactive. And the whole, you know, one of the most important pieces of critical thinking and learning history is, you know, focusing on that problem, but then testing the different possibilities. So just like in the science experiment, you have a hypothesis and then you change the variables and you see what effect different variables. Well, in history, you're asking different questions and going down different avenues and then you're getting more information you're putting it together and then you're analyzing it. And then you're also inferring and taking other information that you have found out from your other research into that topic. And you're putting it all together, uh, which gives you an opportunity to come to some real conclusion not just something uh, that's somebody's opinion. And sometimes you'll come to a a very definite conclusion about something. And sometimes you won't come to any conclusion at all. Or maybe you'll conclude that there are multiple possibilities and multiple reasons and multiple avenues that you could pursue, you know, in order to learn more about this topic. So, Again, it's again, it's open ended. It's 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 forcing a child to really, really think and use real information, not opinions. And, you know, the stuff we get on social media and what everybody else thinks, but information that I myself have gone to the trouble to learn about and then think about and then analyze and form my own conclusions, not somebody else's conclusion. And it sounds like that's a great way for parents to help their children become critical thinkers. In other words, yeah, I, I, I think not be so, so influenced by whatever the latest social media something is. The best kind of parent uh, to me is a mentor, a, a kind of a teacher, but some someone who is willing to listen more than talk to you know it's so important to really listen 
to your child. And if you ask those open-ended questions, you're going to get a lot of information. You will learn really what your child thinks. You know, not just the yes, the no. Yeah, what did you do at school today? Nothing. You know, I mean, well, what happened in math class? Did you, did you, did you do something different? Did you practice what you did before? You know, or what happened at lunchtime? Who were you talking to? You know, did, did you make any plans for the weekend? You know, you have to, you have to kind of draw them out, you know, and not accept that. Yeah, no, no. And that goes back to that, you know, Stephen Covey wrote this book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said people who were effective, one of those seven habits was effective people seek first to understand before they try to be understood. So instead of always trying to help your children understand what you're thinking, mm-hmm. try to understand them first before you try to be understood and then your ability to influence them um, or, or, or help them find their way goes up because they feel understood and they, and you've talked to them. That's what I mean, most children really want to be understood. And when they, uh, many of the times when they rebel, it's because they feel that they're not understood. That's exactly the reason for the negative behavior. If so, if you want to lessen rebellion in your children, perhaps just be quiet and listen and help them feel understood. Correct. <laughs> exactly. Um, one last thing I wanted your opinion on, I, I've heard that they did some studies on some kids who uh, after school, they found that if they only read a minute, they were generally on the lower end of the, 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 the scale, like the, the F and D students would only read about a minute or less after school, but the a minus kids would read about 19 or 20 minutes and so it was really only a difference of 20 minutes reading after school. And now I'm not saying it's causation. We know that correlation is not causation, but but it seems like it was at least associated with higher outcomes when people would learn to read on their own that wasn't a school assignment. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I always, you know, from the time a child is very young, I started with my children when they were three. I brought them to the library. Uh, I let them go into the children's section and I just let them wander around to see what they would pick, what they would choose. Mm. Uh, Allow your children to pursue curiosity in into what they're interested in initially they'll read a lot more if they're interested in what they're reading so Mm. even even with middle school children if it's even if it's comic books or graphic novels it's it's important to get them just to be interested in reading first of all then you know you can kind of help them to channel their interests into into uh, other things. So just as long as they're reading and then help them choose the right kind of books as they get a little bit older and the child is actually able to read, you know, don't let them pick books that are too easy. 
you know, there's that classic five finger reading approach. So, you know, if, if a child picks up a book and, and one, one word on any random page is too difficult, then that's probably a good book for the child. If there are two words on the page that the child doesn't understand, that's still probably a good bet because it'll stretch them a little bit, but not frustrate them. But if there are three or more words on the page that your child, you know, really doesn't have a clue, then that's not a good book for the child. So, you know, always try to have them reach a little bit, but not something that's going to totally frustrate them because children that are way behind in reading, when, when they go into the classroom, if the book is too difficult, they're just gonna, you know, just gonna shut down and model reading for the child. If the child sees a parent reading, the child will say, oh, you know, I guess reading really is important. It is, you know, it's just like kind of a psychological mental thing. But oh, my dad reads so my not that they have to read. Going back to that modeling example piece you were talking about, which is so important, the best to, to model. Exactly. And no matter what it is, whether it's a newspaper, a magazine, you know, whatever it is, it's important that the child sees the parent reading so oh this is an important skill you can help them so many ways in the community you know when you go to the store ask the child to look at the label ask the child to read you the label when you're driving ask the child oh did you see that sign what does that sign say i missed it see if the child can read the sign there's so many opportunities for them every day just walking around in the community to to practice reading so really appreciate your perspective on this, Barbara. Let me ask you one last question here. Um, well, maybe more than one last, but one that came back to me, why is it, why is it important from a historical perspective to have, our, to have parents help children understand their cultural heritage? And then how can you help them understand and appreciate it? Well, I, I think it's important that the child feels connected, first of all, to the family unit. And as the child grows, to understand why that family unit does certain things and the way they do them. So if, if a child is part of a family uh, that's first generation or second generation, you know, those cultural things will be a lot stronger. But Again, you know, going back to those who, what, when, where, why questions, the first thing a child wants to know is who am I, where did I come from, and how do I fit in? So you can very, make those things important in your family. You can talk about the things that you did when you were little. You can talk about the things that your parents did. You could talk about the places you went to, the foods you ate. Uh, the the events that were important to you. You can encourage a child to ask the parents and grandparents about it. Because if you talk about it, then they're going to start thinking about those things. And then, you know, they're going to be more curious and they're going to go to the, the uncle, the cousin, the grandparent and ask them, well, well how did you do this? Or what was your school like? Or um, what kind of food did you eat when you were a little kid? You know, they're just, if you, again, if you model it, if you show it, 
uh, if you take them to local community events, uh, if there's a cultural event going on in your community, it, whether it's your culture or a different culture, expose them to that. And then your child will be asking, well, why did they dress that way? Why did they, why did they play that instrument? Or, you know, why were they dancing that way? Why were they acting that way? You know, you can open up all kinds of uh, new cultural avenues because first a child learns about their family's customs and traditions, whether that be religion or whether it be the food they eat or whether it be uh, places that, that they go to with family members, then that can be brought out into the community and they can see friends because sometimes it comes through their peer group. They have friends that belong to different cultures and they can learn about the other cultures that way. But sometimes it just happens by walking around the community. If, uh, you know, encourage a child to ask, to inquire. They notice somebody dresses differently. They notice somebody uh, reacts differently, uh, that they have certain terms in their language that, mean certain things that the child isn't familiar with you know just encourage them to to ask and to um to inquire and then you know to share you know what what's important to them what well what's important to you encourage them to have those conversations with uh with other families in your community uh you can you can invite a family from a different culture over and just you know mm -hmm. just talk with them and uh and expose your child to that as well that's these are wonderful ideas i really really um appreciate your insight i mean so i really appreciate your insight on this especially with your background in education all of these good points and tips for for parents to become better educators to become more adept at being CEOs. And it sounds like one of the themes that you've continually brought up here is to listen and to talk and to have conversations and encourage them to ask you questions, have, have them feel like they can ask you questions and then teach them about their heritage, teach them about their history, teach them the values and the principles and the skills rather than just, hey, you know, you got to learn these facts and, and spit them out on a test. That's, that's uh, so important today. Um, what would you say... If, if there's one thing you would tell parents who are listening to this show that you think is important from your perspective, is there one thing that you would say, remember this as you're trying to educate your children? Well, so many things. I, I would say, listen more than you talk and practice what you preach. Wow, so profound. Listen more than you talk, and remember that you're you're talking a lot as you're doing your 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 example. So profound. Thank you, Barbara. Such an honor to have you on the show today. How can people get a hold of you, Barbara? Well, the best place to get a hold of me is on my website. So my website uh, is simply Little Miss history.com at uh, little miss history is the character that i use in my children's book series so i have a book series uh, with a cartoon character who narrates history for children and the books are done with this critical thinking in mind so it, they are 
books that not only give children information and entertain them, but they encourage children to be interactive with that information and to think on their own and then express their own opinions about uh, what we talk about. So that's my book series. So on my website, there are links to the books. Uh, I have a blog and on the blog, I review children's books and I talk about uh, a lot of the things we talked about. Uh, I have tips and, and teaching on my blog. I have a YouTube channel and I do many teaching lessons on my YouTube channel, as well as present um, informational videos on things like critical thinking, how to figure out facts and opinions, uh, and to uh, use different parts of the curriculum and set up your own teaching lessons. So they're called Two Minute Teacher, and I give many teaching lessons that parents or teachers could use with their children. Uh, so I have that, uh, and um, they can uh, look at all of my resources. I have a Pinterest board where I collect things for parents and teachers that they might want to use uh, with students, either at home or in the classroom. And I have my social media channels um, that also uh, present different ways of contacting me. So that one website, you can click on any of those links to uh, get to where you want to go. And I also have an instant chat on there. So if anyone wants to uh, email me or chat, uh, they're welcome to do that as well. So wonderful for that resource. So littlemisshistory.com. And you could also reach out to social media links. We'll try to have those in the show notes today. And uh, Barbara, thank you so much for being on the show. For any of you parents who want a resource, uh, please visit littlemisshistory.com and reach out to Barbara uh, for any of your parenting educational questions. And thank you for being on the show today, Barbara. Thank you so much. I enjoyed chatting with you, Exxon. I am so jealous of my wife because she gets the ultimate career. She gets to train and nurture and love our children more than I get to because I have to be doing things like this podcast. Parenting is the ultimate career. If you like what you heard today, please like, subscribe, comment, leave a review. Thank you for listening. You can also check out my book, What I Want My Children to Know Before I Die. It's available on Amazon and other bookstores. Thanks again for listening.